One of the questions that people have, if they believe in God, uh, is, is he good? Is God good? And, and the reason is because many times when we look around the world, we, we see things that seem as though they're out of control. They're, they're bad. They're evil. They're not good. And we say, how could a good God allow these evil, terrible things to happen in our world? Why doesn't he do something about it? We don't have the time to answer that question. I don't know if I can. Uh, but the point is, the question still remains, is God good? Is God good? And so what we've been doing in this series, uh, we've been talking about the psalmists and how they struggle with life. And we're looking at many of the psalms where the psalmists are asking those hard questions like, why do the wicked uh, prosper? And, and, and why, you know, why, is, uh, the, why should I live a holy life? What's the point, you know? And does God even care about me? Does he even care? And why am I suffering so much? And, and so the question we want to answer this weekend is, is God good? Is God good? Uh, so we're going to be in Psalm 107, and I'd love you to follow along. We have the chair Bibles. Um, we'll have the reference up on the screen and the page number if you need to look for it. Uh, we hope you get a Bible. Um, by the way, if you don't have a Bible, the chair Bibles, take one with you and use it. The only thing we ask is just use it. Don't end up with three or four of them on your coffee table by your bed, you know, at home. You know, we need them here. But uh, if you're going to use them, we'd love you to take one home with you if you don't have a good Bible. Um, But let me start reading because that's really uh, the assumption of the psalmist is that God is good. Notice what he says, Psalm 107, verse 1. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. Those he redeemed from the hand of the foe, those he gathered from the lands from the east and west, from the north and the south. And then he goes on in the psalm. We're going to just kind of walk down through the psalm a little bit tonight, and then we'll just draw some application, okay? So he draws, he basically has four groups of people that he talks about. And they're, they're different groups of people. And basically in each group, you see the goodness of God demonstrated in each group. So we want to look through those four ways that God demonstrates his love in these four different groups of people. Look at the first one. This is uh, verses 4 through 9. He provides a home for the homeless. Some have wandered in the desert wastelands, finding no way to to a city where they could settle. They were hungry and thirsty, and their lives ebbed away. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way to, to a city where they could settle. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. For he satisfies the thirsty and he fills the hungry with good things. So, not really sure what the psalmist is referring to. Could be referring to the earlier exile that Moses and the people were out in the land. Could be referring to a later exile. Could be just referring to groups of people that he has seen in his life. The point is, uh, when you're out in the wilderness... Uh, it's a harsh life. There's no food, there's no water, and there's no shelter. And, and those are important things. And in biblical times, a city was an important thing. A city that had walls was an important thing. Uh, I was talking to my wife. We were watching an old English show recently, and we were talking about all these old buildings, but they all have walls. And, and they had them for a reason, because it was for protection. And when you were inside the city gate, 
you were protected. You were part of a community. You had food. You had water. And you were safe. And, 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 but when you're in the wilderness, you're in the wilderness, you're a danger. You're hungry. You're thirsty. And so they cried out to the Lord. And it says he brought them home. Uh, having a home, a safe place, a place where you can find food, family. And family is, is such a, an important thing in the human uh, life, isn't it? Now, in America, uh, we take that for granted. We really do. We certainly have a homeless, you know, homeless issues in every city across America. And uh, there's a whole bunch of reasons for that. Don't want to get into that. But just to say that wake up every day and just thank the Lord that he has given you a home that he's provided for you food and clean water. You know, the vast majority of the world today doesn't experience what we have in America. We've been so blessed. But the psalmist says uh, God is good uh, because when people were out in the wilderness and they cried out to God, he brought them into a city. He provided for them. Secondly, he brings freedom to the prisoners. Notice in verses 10 through 16, some sat in darkness. In utter darkness, prisoners suffering in iron chains because they rebelled against God's commands and despised the plans of the Most High. He subjected them to bitter labor. They stumbled and there was no one to help. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble and he saved them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness, the utter darkness, and broke away their chains. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. For he breaks down the gates of the bronze and cuts through the bars of iron. So we see here that he frees, he sets free the prisoners. Now notice the interesting thing is this is, this is their own behavior has brought this upon themselves. So in here they say they're suffering because of their own sins, of their own mistakes, of their own you know, missteps. And, but yet, when they call out to God, God delivers them. So he, he sets free, brings freedom to the prisoners. And then notice, go, he goes on. He rescues the sinners from the grave. Look at verses uh, 17 through 22. Some became fools through their rebellious ways and suffered affliction because of their iniquities. They loathed all food and drew near the gates uh, of death. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and He saved them from their distress. He sent out His word and healed them. He rescued them from the grave. Let them give thanks to the Lord for His unfailing love and His wonderful deeds for mankind. Let them sacrifice thank offerings and tell of His works with songs of joy. And so He saves them from the grave. He saves sinners from the grave. And then number four, He calms the storms of the distressed. Notice verses 23 through 32. Some went on the sea in ships. They were merchants on the mighty waters. They saw the works of the Lord, His wonderful deeds in the deep. For He spoke and stirred up the tempest that lifted high the waves. They mounted up to to the heavens and went down to the depths. In their peril, their courage melted away. They reeled and staggered like drunkards. They were at their wit's end. Notice. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brought them out of their distress. He stilled the storm to a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed. 
They were glad when it grew calm, and he guided them to their desired haven. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. Let them exalt him in the assembly of the people and praise him in the council of the elders. Well, what are we to learn from these from this psalm? What you know, the psalmist is making a case that that God in each one of these situations, when people cried out to him, he delivered them. He is good and is worthy to be praised forever. This is the refrain. You, you've noticed it. It's used uh, in this psalm, I think, six times. So it's very, very key and very important. So what do we learn from Psalm 107? The first one is that God hears and responds to our cries. In every one of these situations, whether they caused the calamity in their own life or whether it was just the weather or whatever situation it was, they were out in the wilderness. When they cried out to God, he immediately answered their prayer. Now, oftentimes we think that when we cry out to God, uh, and by the way, you see this four times, four groups, four cries, four deliverances. But here's what I found. There are times, often, when I cry out to God, when I'm in a difficult situation or a difficult place, and I ask God to deliver me. I ask God to help me. I ask God to, you know, to, to come through for me. But here's what I found. Many times, God doesn't give me what I ask for. Many times, and, and there are times I just still don't understand what he's, what he's doing and what he was doing. <laughs> still don't understand it. But there are times where God has given me an opportunity to look back and see that he was playing the long game. That he didn't give me immediately what I asked for. Because he was going to do something greater. Something bigger. Something beyond my wildest imagination. Something I couldn't see. Something I couldn't perceive. And I just had to trust him in that time. And I cried out to him. And he brought relief. But he didn't solve it many times. And that, we see this a lot in the Psalms, don't we? They're crying out to God. But their problems aren't necessarily getting solved. But we live in America, right? And there's got to be a cure. There's got to be an answer. There's got to be a way out. There's got to be a path. We, we always think that. But there's not always, is there? There's not always. And what I found is that we understand that that God is playing the long game, that Jesus is playing the long game. He Jesus comes to our 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 distress. The good news is we have the New Testament. So when we look at the New Testament, we see we don't just see we cry out to God, but we cry out to we cry out to Jesus, and we know that Jesus understands what we're going through, because we have a Savior who entered into this world, this boiling world. That's many times we look around it, and it's out of control, and we say, "God, where are you?" Do you understand what I'm going through? Do you feel what I'm feeling? And Jesus says, yeah, I do. I get it. When you think about that he created the heavens and the earth, the whole universe. Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, is involved in this. And then he enters into this creation. His own creation is created in the image of God. How do they welcome him? The royal palace when he was born? No. They treat him with dignity and respect through his life? No. Did they have, give him a good send-off to heaven? Not really. Unless you call a Roman cross a good send-off. And so, 
we, see, we understand that, that Jesus doesn't necessarily solve our problems, but he says, I'll enter into your problems with you. I'll enter into the, va- the valley of the, the shadow of death with you, and I'll walk with you in the darkness. I'll be there with you. He hears our cries as we walk through the dark valley of life. So, so that's the first thing we can draw from, is that when we cry out to God, he always answers us, but he doesn't always answer us in a way that we, he fixes our problems, but he says, I, not only I have a long-term game here, there's something I'm doing. You may not see it this side of heaven, you may not even understand it, but I've got something good worked out through this. And number two, and I'll be with you in the midst of it. I won't leave you alone. Secondly, he promised us an eternal home with him in heaven. You know, uh, we, we read the first couple chapters of Genesis, and what does God do? He creates a perfect environment. He places man, uh, Adam and Eve, in this perfect environment. And uh, basically, uh, ever since the fall in, in chapter 3 of Genesis, when Adam and Eve sinned, uh, they were cast out of the perfect home. They were cast out of the garden. They were, uh, they were uh, pushed out. And uh, we have been spiritually homeless ever since. You say, what do you mean? Every one of us experiences homelessness, don't we? There's, there's, a, there's a hunger in our heart. There's an emptiness in our heart. There's a desire in our heart. And there's a couple of desires. Num- number one, there's an emptiness. And, and many of you, would, if I were to stop and say, tell me about your life before Jesus and tell me when Jesus came into your life, the difference. And one of the things you would tell me is, there was an emptiness in my life that now is being filled by Jesus. I can't explain it to you, but I can tell you that I know he's with me. The second thing is, we're created for eternity. We know that death can't be the end. We just, there's something about the human spirit that says that can't be all there is. There's, there's something eternal within our hearts. We know that. You know, um, Disney makes very entertaining movies for kids to watch. Their theology is absolutely horrible. Take The Lion King, Okay. So the Lion King, we're told that you don't have to fear death because there's a circle of light. And this circle of light is a good thing because um, it's, it, it's, Simba, the circle of light will bring you, it's a good thing, you don't have to fear it. Because when you die, you'll become fertilizer for the grass. And the grass is going to feed the giraffes. <laughs> I don't know about you. I'm looking for a little more than that in my life, <laughs> you know. I, I'm looking for a little more than that. Because you say, well, that's not, they're not just talking about the animals. They're talking, this is a belief system that is held in our world today, folks, by a lot of people. I mean, imagine going to the deathbed of a friend. Hey, Bob, how you doing? I don't have long. Well, Bob, you're just going to become fertilizer. But the good news is, he, you're going to walk out of there and he's going to go, thanks, that didn't really help. Right? Well, what does Jesus say? When he, he, the, his disciples get a hint that he's not, he's leaving them, he's going to, and in John 14, Jesus says, I'm going to go away. 
but I'm going to go prepare a place for you that you will be with me forever. Forever. That's hope. The rest of the New Testament tells us a little bit about more what that forever is and what that place is like and what we're going to be like. We have all that in the New Testament. They didn't have that in the Psalms. So, so that brings us comfort. Jesus said this. He says, my father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? The answer is no, I wouldn't tell you that. I wouldn't tease you like that. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me. That you may be where I am. So what's our response to be? Well, when we reflect on God's provision to our eternal home, the only conclusion we can draw, like the psalmist is, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. And his love endures forever. Number three, he provided a way out of sin and shame. Have you noticed there's a lot of people around you? They, they don't walk around saying this, but they demonstrate that they're carrying a lot of shame. They're carrying a lot of guilt. They're carrying a lot of pain. And, and a lot of it is the past. A lot of it is just how they were raised and the shame and the, and the different things that they have going on in their lives. And they just they walk with their heads down and they don't have a lot of joy and they're struggling. And um, there are people who would say... You know what, I, I can't even begin to think of looking to God, looking up to God, because I have failed God so often and so badly that I, I just don't, I, and, and they're right, because Isaiah says that, we all like sheep have gone astray, each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. We all fall short, we're all sinners, and we all fall short, and we carry a shame to, about that, we carry a burden about that, we, we, we know that it deserves judgment and the question is well how how can God forgive me and I was raised in a tradition where I was taught I think or I picked it up and a lot of people around me picked it up too so I don't know that you just go to church you believe in God you go through these different stages check them off and and hopefully and you're better than Whoever, you know, you can always find somebody you can step on or put lower than you. And that one day you're going you're gonna to just say, God, here's, here's my resume. And God's going to say, whew, get in here. We could use guys like you here. And then a friend of mine said, because I gave him that spiel. He said, what about Jesus? I said, I don't know. I know he fits in there somewhere. Well, how he fits in there is this. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole or a cross. Are you here this weekend? Do you need to be set free from the guilt and the shame that you carry? Are you trying to just be good enough, but you know you're not? Do you understand? I mean, nobody really had to convince me that I had fallen short of God's standard. That wasn't the issue with me. The question was, how do I find forgiveness? 
The day that I gave my heart to Christ, the day that I crossed that line of faith, the day that I said, Jesus, I can't save myself. I realized you died on the cross for me and say, you're my only hope. And, I, and I'm kind of like the thief on the cross next to, the, next to Jesus. And I said, Jesus, unless you come through, I'm dead. <laughs> and, and I put my trust in him. And the, one of the things I remember, there wasn't like angels going, oh, you know, I didn't, none of that happened. One thing that did happen, though, I knew my sins were forgiven because they didn't, it didn't depend on me. It depended on him. That's, that's something I did get. So if you need to be set free from your sin and shame, yeah, don't look within yourself. You're going to just find confusion there. You have to look outside of your creator. You have to look outside of your redeemer, your, your savior, and when you look, to, you look outside and you look to the cross and you see Jesus, you'll find your Savior, you'll find hope, you'll find purpose, you'll find meaning, you'll find everything you're looking for. And you'll begin a journey with Him and things will change. But when we reflect on God's forgiveness, the only conclusion we can draw is, give thanks to the Lord for He is good. His love endures forever. Just like the psalmist. But we have more than the psalmist. We have the whole New Testament. He didn't have that. Let me give you another one. He saves us from the grave. There's a lot of people, and I do a lot of funerals. There's a lot of people that don't want to talk about death. They don't want to even think about it. They do. They're very uncomfortable when you come to a wake or you come to a funeral service. They're very uncomfortable. Understandable. Because there, and, and many times, it's not about the person who has died, it's about them. Because they realize that one day, that is going to be them. And they think about that, and they go, I don't know what is going to happen to me. But Paul says something very interesting in 1 Corinthians. He says, death is swallowed up in victory. Now, what does that mean? What does Paul mean when he says death is swallowed up in victory? What, is they, what does he mean there? We're told in the New Testament that when Jesus rose from the grave, we who place our faith and trust in him will be raised just like he was from death to life. The grave no longer has a power to hold us as it no longer had a power to hold Jesus. It has death and the grave has no power of us. Death has no longer is no longer something to fear or to loathe because we realize death is stepping. Well, I, let me read you. This is a great quote. A number of years ago, as I go, I came across this quote. It's a great quote, and I love it because it really brings that out. It's by George Herbert, and it says this: Death used to be an executioner, but because of the gospel. Jesus has made death just a gardener. All death can do is plant me in his love and make me come up in ways I've never been before. If you think that this life is all there is, Paul says, then you're to be most pitied. But if you realize that this life is a preparation for eternity, and eternity is going to be, be, the way Paul puts it is, it's beyond your wildest imagination. But go ahead and imaginate about it, because that's a good thing to do. When you think about that, then this life takes on its proper perspective. 
And death no longer has that stranglehold on us. When we reflect on God taking the sting out of death, the only conclusion we can draw is give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. Let me give you one more. It calms the storms in our hearts. Have you, this is what I found. And this comes on, you know, uh, in, in the Midwest, in Iowa, it's very true. Um, and I think there's other parts of the country, but I've seen it here. The weather can change awfully quick. I mean, one minute, it's sunny out. The next minute, you go, oh, wow, that was hail last night. It came like nobody's business, right? And it's just like all of a sudden, that storm comes. Here's what I found. There are times in my life where I'm doing okay. Sunny weather, right? And all of a sudden, something happens. And I become worried, angry, fearful. Right? Right? Bitter. Anxious. Oftentimes, what I found is this. That we've allowed our heart to dictate to us how we feel. This is true. This, this is true for me, and I'm, I'm sure it, you get bad news. Somebody close to you dies. Your boss calls you in about your work performance or workforce cuts. Our kids aren't doing well, and our heart runs down all of the worst-case scenarios. Have you ever had this happen? When something bad happens in your life, does your heart go, Oh, don't worry. It won't be that bad. It will be fine. Everything is going to be great. My heart doesn't default to that. Maybe you have a better heart than me. My heart goes, oh no, we're dead. It's all over. Let's just cover our heads. And it it runs down these worst case scenarios. And what you have to do is you have to stop, catch your breath, and say to your, your worried, angry, bitter, whatever heart it is, shut up. You say, well, how do I know when my heart is going off on me? The people around you know. (laughs) Because Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So your words are going to be worried. You're going to have worried words. Or you're going to have angry words. And have you done that where you've been around somebody you love and their words are like really anxious or really fearful or really angry or real bitter? And you go, you're a little bitter. What? What are you talking about? No. Yeah. Right? I mean, well, what's going on there? Your, your heart is just kind of going off, and you have to stop it. You have to stop your heart. How do we get a handle on our heart when it goes off on us? Do you remember when Jesus was out on the boat with his disciples? They decided to, it was at night, and they decided to cast off to the other side. Jesus fell asleep. And again, many of these, a number of these guys on the boat were seasoned sailors, so it's like they'd seen storms, but this is a bad storm. They got to the point where the waves were so high, so big, the boat was in jeopardy of sinking, and the disciples were terrified. They began to panic. They woke Jesus up, and they cried out to him. You can read about that in Mark chapter 4, verse 35. They cry out to Jesus. Jesus, you know, one one translation, you know, one account says, Jesus, don't you care that we perish? And he speaks. Jesus just calmly wakes up, wipes the sleep out of his eyes, sees the storm, speaks, and it's done. And they are absolutely in awe and fear, not of the storm, but of the one who calmed the storm. 
the one who commanded the wind and the waves. In the same way, when the storms kind of perk up in your heart, don't allow your heart to go off. Don't walk away from God. Cry out to Jesus and say, Jesus, my heart is worried. My heart is anxious. My heart is angry. My heart is bitter. My heart, just tell him what's going on and say, I need you to calm the storm of my heart. Stop listening to your heart and allow Jesus to calm it. You see, when we reflect on God's calming the storms of our lives, the only conclusion we can draw is give thanks to the Lord for He is good and His love endures forever. Now, if you consider the love of God and you consider it deeply, your life will be changed and your heart will be transformed. And I think that's essentially what the psalmist is saying. The psalmist is saying the biggest problem we have in our lives is not what's going on outside of us, whether we're hungry or thirsty or whether we're not safe or whether we're prisoners or whether we're in the midst of a, a, a big gale in, in an ocean and life's kind of being difficult. That's not our biggest problem. Our problem is that we're not looking to God, to Jesus. We're not seeing how much he loves us, how much he's invested for us. That's why I think Paul says this. Look at what he says. Ephesians chapter 3. I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people. Now, notice what he wants us to grasp. To grasp how wide and long and high and deep the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge. In other words, Paul says, this is a quest that you will never, ever finish. This pursuit, you'll never finish. This quest to understand the love of God for you, the love of Christ for you. The problem is, we don't do that very well, and we don't go very deep, and we don't go very wide, and we don't go very high, and we, we don't spend much time reflecting on the love of God. And I think that's what the psalmist is trying to get us to do. That's why he says over and over and over, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. And I think the psalmist would want us to say, whatever is going on in your life, whatever is happening in your life, reflect on God's goodness. Reflect on God's love. When you do that, you'll find the storms will be calm, that you'll be set free from the prison, that your hunger and thirst spiritually will be filled, that all those things that we desperately need and want, that our souls need when we go to him, will find the fulfillment that we need there. Now, I don't know where you're at this weekend. I really don't. But I pray that one of these applications might come to your heart and the Holy Spirit will take because you're wrestling with something that's going on in your life. There's something going on in your life that you're wrestling with and it's one of these areas and the answer is to sit quietly with Jesus and say, Jesus, you're invested in my life. I'm in the valley. I know you're there with me. My heart is going off. I've got all this stuff going on or I feel empty. I feel alone. I feel like... Um, 
I've tried everything and nothing can fill my life. And Jesus, maybe you're the only one that can. I don't know where you're at. I don't know what it is. But allow the Spirit of God to bring that truth to your heart and reflect upon it, meditate on it this weekend. And I think what you're going to do is the more you reflect upon that, the more you'll say, give thanks to the Lord for He is good. His love endures forever. Stand with me. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the psalmist that gives us an honest uh, struggle. Many of the struggles that not just the people that he observed were going through, but what we go through on a regular basis. Father, with a group of people like this uh, this weekend, it's very easy to know that we all have different struggles, whether we're in the audience whether we're watching online, whether we're at a campus, wherever we're at, Father, this is not an accident. This is not, this is a, an opportunity for your spirit to speak to our hearts and what's going on. There's an emptiness, there's a fear, there's, there's something, there's a hunger that's not been filled. There's something. The good news is when we cry out to you, you, you come. You come. So help us to look for you in the darkness. Look for you in the fear. Look for you in the, in the hunger. Look for you everywhere. Because you are there and you have a plan. And you understand what we're going through. We love you because you first loved us. And we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.